Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Today's episode, we're going to have a Braves update. It has not been the best week, and we are coming to a very crucial time for the Atlanta Braves in this 60-game short season that we are uh, barreling down towards the playoffs now. Only three weeks left, two and a half really, uh, in this very short 60-game season. We're also going to have our breakdown today of the University of Georgia focusing on the defense, which in all honesty is a much more uh, fun and optimistic outlook on the coming season, thinking about the defense as, as opposed to the offense that we've already talked about. And then the last segment today, we'll do our viewing guide. College football starts all the way back this week. So Miami and UAB kick it off tomorrow night, and then we have a full weekend of college and professional football to look forward to. So I'll get you the kickoff times for all the games that I'm interested in, as well as the channels of where you can uh, find those games this weekend. So hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's get it started. going to start today's episode talking about the Braves. The last week has not been one of the better weeks for the Braves. So uh, they've just in the last few days, they've lost four out of their last five, uh, including two in a row to the Marlins. They split over the weekend with the Nationals. And we had some questionable bullpen usage in those games. So two times in the last five days, the Braves have gone into, you know, basically their last defensive half inning trailing by a run, only to have Snit leave out uh, a pitcher who's just con- completely getting rocked and pretty much have the other team put the game away. The The concerning thing for me is that in the post-game press conference, when Snit was asked about it, his answer was essentially, if we're behind, I'm not pitching my best guys. Um, now, what made it worse is, and, and I've, I've gotten myself a little bit confused about which pitcher this happened with on which day, so I, I'm, I'm going to kind of speak vague a little bit. But, you know, one game, we leave a guy in there, he gets rocked, we give up like three or four runs in the ninth inning, end up losing by five or six. The next day, it's a seven-to-one game, and we've got Chris Martin out there pitching. And then you come, you know, so it's just very strange, and I know – that with as bad as the starting pitching has been, Snit is having to manage the bullpen. I said before the season started that the bullpen was Snit-proof, and I truly believed that it was um, because I didn't feel like you were going to have enough situations where he was going to have to make these critical bullpen decisions of when to leave a guy in, when to take a guy out, and and we haven't seen that. That's the thing that's always been curious in the past is when – you know, you have a high leverage situation and here comes a pitcher that makes no sense at all. I feel like he's actually handled those situations pretty well, but it's like he's decided in his mind that if the Braves are trailing, that we're going to throw the bottom end of the relief core out there, no matter how much the Braves are trailing by. And the reason that that's such a weird philosophy to adopt, just seemingly out of nowhere, is that this team is proficient at coming from behind and winning in their last at bat and two times in the last six games the Braves had a one-run deficit going into their last defensive half inning only to see the fact that by the time they came up for their last at bat they're they're trailing by four or five runs rather than just one run and to me I look at the Braves going into a ninth inning down a run 
as a high leverage situation, as well as the offense has played, you really have to have a lot of faith in the fact that we can get a guy over, we can hit a home run, we can walk it off. We've seen that multiple times, not just this year, but just over the past three years, this, the entirety of Snit's managerial career, the Braves have been fantastic at those come behind, from behind wins. So it just seems strange. It seemed, you know, completely just out of nowhere. And then his post-grain press conferences confirmed the fact that basically the way he has decided to manage the bullpen usage for the fact that the starters are not, you know, getting out of the third and fourth inning a lot of nights. So the, the, the bullpen is having to play five and six innings sometimes. Um, the way he's going to manage it is if we're ahead, he's going to pitch the good guys. If we're behind, he's going to pitch the not so great guys. And the confusing part of that is you're going to see guys like Martin, Melanson, and Will Smith feature in games where the Braves are up three or four runs instead of seeing them in games where the Braves are behind a run. And, and or at least that's what we've seen over the last few days. Chris Martin pitched, I, I believe it was on sun, uh, Saturday, in a game that was like seven to one, whereas the day before he didn't pitch in a game that we were trailing by one run going into the night. Um, so it's it's just a very strange and seemingly out of nowhere kind of mental shift for Brian Snicker. And it's very concerning because I, I just cannot emphasize how stupid that is to me. You're going to think over the course of a week, if you play six games, which is kind of where the Braves will be over the next little bit, um, you're going to have a game or two that isn't competitive, you know, a game or two that you're either blowing the other team out or a game or two that you're getting blown out. And so really those are the games in the blowout. That's when you would expect to see the pitchers that don't necessarily thrive in high leverage situations. And you would think that really leaves maybe only four times a week where you have to use your best guys. Tyler Matzik has shown himself to be one of those guys. I feel like in the right situation, Luke Jackson can be one of those guys, even though Snit seems to not necessarily always pick the right situation for Jackson to appear in. But then obviously you, you have Minter, who's been fantastic. You have Melanson, who's shown himself over the last year in a Braves uniform to be fantastic. Will Smith has not been super sharp, but I still feel more comfortable with him than some other options. And Chris Martin. So between Martin, Melanson, Will Smith, and A.J. Minter, that's four guys you have to feel really, really good about. Then on the other side, you still have guys like Matt Matzik and Jackson that you sort of feel good about. And then you have the other guys that you're just like, okay, hey, we're down six runs. Let's put that guy out there and let's, let's let him just get bombed around if he has to. But it feels like, for whatever reason, that Snit has decided that a one-run lead is the equivalent – or a one-run deficit is the equivalent of like a five-run deficit – and the way he's handling the bullpen, that is a self-fulfilling prophecy, but that's what's been happening the last couple of times out. So it'll be interesting to see if somebody pulls him aside, if, if there was like maybe an injury they just didn't want to talk about or a usage issue, if, the, if, if there was another reason. But seemingly, this came out of nowhere. It popped up fast. It made no sense over the weekend. And I just hope we look back and go, oh, yeah, that was weird when he did that. But if this is a recurring theme over the next three weeks, the division is not great. The Phillies, they've gotten hot over the last couple of weeks, and they've made it close. The Marlins, are I, I, they've been hot and cold all season. The Braves are the best team in this division. 
we should have a four game lead or so in the division. We should be at the point where we're counting down magic numbers. And instead, we're going to find ourselves in a pennant race because as bad as the starting pitching has been, the season has been manageable up to this point. And somehow we're finding ways to mess up what can only be described as some of the easier situations that a baseball manager has put himself in. So let's update the standings real quick. The Phillies are a game and a half back. The Marlins two and a half back. The Mets are five and a half back. And the Nats are seven and a half back. The Nats are done. I think that's very easy to see. Not just done for winning the division. They're definitely out of the division race. I don't think there's a chance that they're going to be able to uh, to come back and sneak in as like an eighth seed or anything like that in the playoffs. I think the Mets are in a similar situation. They just had so many, I mean, I say injuries, but I mean, they, they just meted it up really well. So to me, the Phillies are the team that we're, the Braves really have to worry about. They don't play them. So it's completely possible, like what was happening a couple of weeks ago, where the Braves are, you know, on a nice little run, but the Phillies are on their own nice little run and they don't play each other. So there's no chance to actually get the job done yourself. So the Braves and Phillies are, are done playing each other for the rest of the year. And the Braves and the Marlins only play each other, counting tonight's game, four more times this year. So it's going to be very interesting um, to see how everything works out. You know, the rest of the season, and after today's game, there's only 18 games. Uh, well, I'm sorry, including tonight's game. There's only 18 games left in the season. After we play the Marlins tonight, we go on the road for the longest road trip of the season. Four at Washington, three at Baltimore three against the Mets, and then we come home and finish it out again with uh, seven games, four against the Marlins, and the last series of the season against Boston. And what I see is I see Washington, Baltimore, and New York, and I know the games are on the road, and I know that being on the road this year, they talked about it on the broadcast some, it's more strange than it's ever been before because there's just the dull, you know, you go play baseball and then you go sit in your hotel room until it's time to play baseball again. So I think there's a mental aspect of this road trip that may be very, very difficult, but the teams that you're playing are not. The Nationals are bad. Baltimore, after starting the season out pretty good, they're not very good. Um, the Mets have just been not great. It'll be interesting to see by the time that series comes around, do we hit, do we have to play DeGrom? Do we get to miss DeGrom? That'll be interesting to see. And then you're coming home in the last three games of the season. you you got to look at that, and Boston is not good. We just swept them up in Boston, and you're going to have the last three games of the season at home against a very bad team who's already very bad. And by the time they get around to their 58th, 59th, and 60th game of the season, you'd have to assume that they just really won't care at all at that point. So I still feel good about the Braves winning the division, despite all of the uh, problems that they've had so far this season. And despite the fact that the, the starting pitching, you didn't think it could get any worse. And somehow over the last week, it absolutely did is Max Free, the only brave starter uh, that has been consistent throughout this, well, consistently good, sorry, throughout this uh, terrible season for pitching so far. He went to the I.L. this weekend uh, with some back spasms and, and things like that. A lot of jokes to be made there that the reason his back's hurting is he's been carrying the entire pitching staff himself, which is 100% true. But um, free to the I.L. He's going to miss at least one start, maybe two. Uh, he'll be eligible to come off the injured list early next week. 
Not 100% sure if he'll make that first start as the, the day he's eligible, but they don't feel like it's something that's going to linger. They just felt like they needed to have him skip at least one start, and there wasn't a reason not to go ahead and put him on the IL at that point and let somebody else come up. Uh, they brought Kyle Wright up. He got shellacked last night. Bowman, who, as we have covered on the podcast, is Alex Anthopoulos' personal uh, public relations person. He's already out there saying that despite the giving up five runs in like four innings last night, there were signs that Kyle Wright could be coming around, and the Braves are still hopeful that he'll be good. Well, well, of course the Braves are still hopeful he'll he'll have a turnaround this year because nobody else has. There's still talk about Mike Fultonevich and the fact that his velocity's back up. Haven't heard anything about Sean Newcomb, but the reality of the offense, or sorry, the the reality of the starting pitching is it's bad. And the only hope, and as much as I've mocked it, I'm not saying that this is a viable hope, but the only hope is that Ian Anderson continues to pitch above average, which for our team, he's been way above average, but just go out there, do a good job, and then hope and pray that Cole Hamels can give you something. So the, the rumor this week is that we could see our first start from Cole Hamels sometime in the next week. Now, the assumption is that he won't go out there and give you, you know, a a full start, but even if he goes out and gives you three innings, that's kind of what we've been been expecting from our starters recently. So I'm not a hundred percent sure that, um, that that wouldn't be an upgrade. So Ozzy Albies obviously, um, is supposed to be back at some point this weekend as well. So the Darren O'Day award winner for this year, uh, Cole Hamels might actually make an appearance. Now Hamels just coming back, is not going to be enough. He has to come back and he has to be effective. But I still think it's above 50-50 that one of the three playoff games that the Braves will play in the first round of the playoffs will be started by Cole Hamels. I think right now you're going to see Max Fried and Cole Hamels start the first two games with Ian Anderson being the one that has to start a game three if necessary. You win that series, then you go into the best of five divisional round against whoever it may be. You may see, depending on how it shakes out, Anderson starting game one with Freed, Hamels coming back uh, in games two and three. And then it will be a question of if you have to throw somebody in game four of a five-game series, do you go back to Anderson on potentially short rest? Or I don't know what you do at that point. I, I think it will be very situational. Uh, to see if the Braves would have to go with like a bullpen game in the playoffs or if they feel like they could roll the dice with a Kyle Wright or an Erlen. I mean, I've, I've, I've completely left it out, left it. I've completely left out the fact that we did trade for Tommy Malone. So maybe he would be the guy in that fourth spot. Maybe they'd feel, depending on what happens over the next couple of weeks, maybe they'd feel better about Malone starting a game in the playoffs rather than Anderson. Or maybe a piggyback those two and hopefully you can get through a start. The reality is it's just not very appealing to think about this team heading into the playoffs when you're going to have to pitch multiple guys kind of in a short situation. Um, You know, last year, the starting pitching actually in the playoffs, we would take that right now with this offense, right? If you could just have those, those three guys that started last year healthy, you'd feel pretty good. Um, but the reality is that the Braves aren't in that situation. And as bad as the starting pitching has been this year, the team continues to be in first place. 
And even though this past week was not a good week as far as Freed and Anderson did not have great starts, you have to hope that Freed comes back, can have a start or two under his belt before the end of the season, and you feel good about him being a one in the playoffs. And then you just hope that this team can continue to score at a really high rate when they get into the playoffs and hopefully win the first playoff series for this franchise since all the way back when I was in 11th grade in 2001. Moving on today, we turn our attention to the quickly approaching 2020 college football season uh, while the ACC and Big 12 get started this weekend, and we'll talk all about that in the next segment in our viewing guide. We keep our eyes fixed on September 26th when Georgia will take on Arkansas to start the 2020 season. So far this spring, uh, or this spring, so far this fall, all the conversation is centered around the offense with so many uh, new faces with the opt-out of Jamie Newman last week. Everything has been focused on the offense, but the reality of the 2020 season and the 2020 version of the Georgia Bulldogs is if this is going to be a special season in Athens, it will be because of the defense and not because of the offense. So today we're going to dig in a little bit to the key players that we will be watching when Georgia takes on Arkansas. And I think just kind of as, as an overview, kind of a 10,000 foot view of the defense going into this season, or just the team in general going into this season, Georgia is going to be competitive. Despite all the negativity that I have already talked about pertaining to the offense, and honestly, the more I read about JT Daniels and his health or lack thereof, about Dewan Mathis and his just immaturity when it comes to decision-making, about the fact that Carson Beck, the true freshman quarterback, four-star that just came in this year, uh, the thing I read about him just this morning was he hasn't done anything to stand out. Um, so the more I read about our quarterbacks, the more I get nervous about offense. But the reality is if the other team doesn't score, you're going to be in the game. And if they don't score very much, obviously Georgia's not going to go out there and pitch shutouts. But Georgia's defense is going to keep them in games simply because they are too talented at every level of the defense to get blown out. So what we might see over the course of the year, and especially against some of the teams that do have the ability to stay on the field, is you might see opposing teams uh, be able to wear down Georgia's defense over the course of four quarters, especially if the offense is ineffective and is having to uh, have a lot of three and outs and, and, and putting the defense right back on the field. But if Georgia's offense can can hold on to possession at all, move the ball a little bit, and score even 20 points a game, you have to think that's going to put Georgia in a position to to be viable and be contending in every single game they play this year, and that includes Alabama because uh, this defense is is special, and the the reality is it is a defense that is the sum of its parts. You know, any individual player probably doesn't get the recognition that they deserve just because of the style of defense that Georgia plays. There is so much rotation that Georgia does on defense. I, I've, I've never seen anything like it. it. It's what Alabama did across the defensive line, except we do it at the defensive line, at the linebacker position, and even a little bit in the secondary. A little less of the secondary, but the linebackers, 
uh, and the defensive linemen are a complete revolving door throughout every single game. You've got guys, and it's not just like third down. Oh, we got a third down package. I know LSU had that a few years ago where they would bring in, I can't remember the name of it, but they'd bring in four, basically four defensive ends on third and long situations, and they would just pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. Georgia just has package after package after package where they can rotate out that front seven and show opposing teams so many different looks and bring in five-star after five-star after five-star. And it, it's just it's amazing what they're able to do. So we're going to start, and we're going to kind of organize today's preview of the defense by level. And we're going to start with the level closest to the ball and talk about the defensive line. Any conversation about the defensive line at the University of Georgia for this year and maybe for next year deciding, depending on whether or not he comes back, is going to start with Jordan Davis. Now, Jordan Davis is 6'6", 330 pounds. He's a junior. He, he played some as a freshman. If you'll remember uh, in the 2018 season, defense had taken a step back after uh, Roquan had left after 2017. And it, it just wasn't the same. It just wasn't quite as good as it had been the year before. And the, really the turning point was Jordan Davis as a true freshman coming in and being a significant factor in the middle of that defensive line. And just like the offensive line, you know, the stars on offense are the quarterback and the receivers and the tight ends and the running backs that are just making all the plays. But the offensive line is the straw that stirs the drink. Very, very similarly, the defensive line, especially in Kirby's system, is so incredibly important, and you just don't ever really notice them. Because we play a 3-4 most of the time, which means three down linemen and four linebackers. The defensive linemen are not supposed to be doing the lion's share of getting the sacks and all of that kind of stuff. What the three defensive linemen are supposed to do is just be enough of a handful that five guys have to block the three defensive linemen, meaning that mathematically there's a linebacker coming from somewhere on every single play that – is able to get in there and, and create that havoc that T Kirby's been talking about for the last couple of years. That all starts with our nose tackle, Jordan Davis, who is just, as I said, 6'6", 330. He's a huge human being. He takes up those two blockers that he needs to take up. And what, it, what he really does effectively is he resets the line of scrimmage. He's able to get pushed right in the middle, right on the center, and in the two guard positions. And he's able to push that line of scrimmage back into the quarterback. Quarterbacks like clean pockets, okay? They like to be able to sit back there, look at the field, make their reads, and make their throws. And for the most part, in the SEC, there's not a quarterback playing in this league that won't be able to be effective if that's the circumstance that they're trying to, to throw from. Nice, clean pocket. What Jordan Davis is able to do is immediately, upon the snap of the ball, is push that center right back up into the quarterback's space and kind of start condensing the pocket from the inside out. And then as the quarterback starts drifting in or out uh, or kind of out of the middle of the pocket, that's where the linebackers for Georgia and the defensive ends uh, will, will get in there and really just cause all kinds of problems. Quarterbacks just won't be able to get their feet set because all of a sudden they're going to be feeling pressure from the word go. And it all starts with the push that we get from Jordan Davis. He's not going to make, you know, 10 sacks this year. He's not going to get his name called a whole lot. But if you 
just watch what he does when the ball is snapped. It is amazing how quickly he knocks his man straight back off of the ball. He is an excellent, excellent defensive lineman. He will have, with a solid season this year, he will have first-round uh, draft pick options. And if he has the kind of season that I expect him to have, this may be his last year in Athens. On outside of him, there's a lot of talent. So we'll start with kind of the 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 old men of the group, three seniors upon the de- or along the defensive line. Uh, Devontae Wyatt, Julian Rochester, and Malik Herring. Those are all going to be names that you've heard before. And then add to that uh, a standout freshman from last year, Trayvon Walker, uh, who is now a sophomore. So those guys are just going to be getting rotated in and out from the word go. From the start of the Arkansas game, you've got five guys for three spots on that defensive line, and you'll see them get a lot of playing time. As the season goes on, there's two guys that you need to keep an eye out for, and those are the two freshmen. So Warren Brinson was a four-star, 6'4", 305. Um, he very highly rated prospect. And the only reason you haven't heard more about him is because of the five-star. One of the crown jewels of last year's recruiting class, five-star uh, Jalen Carter, defensive lineman. So Carter is the guy that will, I think, as this season goes on, it'll kind of be like what happened with Nolan Smith and Kobe Dean last year. You heard their name kind of early two or three games go by and you haven't really seen much out of him. And then the, the, towards the middle and the end of the year, it's just going to be, he's, he's going to be too good. Even with seniors in front of him, he's going to be too good not to get on the field. So really for those, you know, primarily three defensive lineman spots, seven guys that are going to see significant playing time. And that's exactly the way Kirby wants it. He wants to be able to get a lot of substitutions, stay fresh upon along the defensive line. He's going to want that many guys playing uh, in the middle of a competitive game. And that's why the teams to really look out for, and, and it's un, undetermined at this point if Alabama is going to continue playing that hurry-up style that they did so often with Tua. But you know Auburn in the second game of the season is going to try to come out and, and, and do that. We get a first down, now we're going fast thing. And – one of the reasons that they do that sort of thing is to gas the defense. But the other reason, and the really the biggest reason that it's effective is if you get a personnel matchup that you want, you can keep if, – if the offense doesn't sub, the defense can't sub. And so the the offense can just keep running play after play after play if they get a deep, some gas defensive lineman in there, and it completely changes the dynamic of the way Georgia wants to play defense. So that'll be a big thing to look out for from the start is – can Georgia's defense and defensive linemen in those situations where the opposing team is trying to go fast and maybe moving the ball a little bit, can we get a big play that can kind of reset everything and stop that opposing offense from just being able to hurry up and keep the, uh, the, the personnel on the field that they want to have on the field? When you take one step back off of that defensive line, we talk about linebackers, we're going to break this up into two groups. you got your inside backers, you got your outside backers. Inside, You've got the starters, and they are as cemented as anything on this team. Monty Rice is going to start in one inside linebacker position. The Kobe Dean is going to start at the other. Backing them up, Channing Tindall and Quay Walker. Now, Monty Rice is excellent, and he's probably going to be the signal caller, and he's probably going to be you know, referred to on broadcast as the captain of the defense and all of that kind of stuff. And he is really, really good. However, 
N'Kobe Dean, the sophomore that came on last year, he is going to have his transformation this year. He's going to continue to grow, and he is, by next year, when he's a junior, we're going to be thinking along, like, we're going to be thinking about him along the same lines as we do a Rokon Smith. Now, will he be the eighth pick in the draft? I don't know if he'll be quite that good, but N'Kobe Dean has all the tools to have a good year this year and then moving forward to be a, a transformational player at the inside linebacker position. And the reason that Georgia and their defense is going to be so good this year is because of the star talent, star power and the just immense talent, individual talent, but then collective talent at every single level. So you've got Jordan Davis, a guy that can be all SEC on the defensive line. You've got N'Kobe Dean at the inside linebacker position, and you've got Nolan Smith at the outside linebacker position. Nolan Smith showed last year that he could be a, he could be a game changer from word go. As a freshman, he had an impact. As a sophomore, he's going to have even more of an impact. When you have Nolan Smith on one side, and then the junior or the sorry, the redshirt sophomore Aziz Ojolari on the other side. Georgia has a couple of the best pass rushers in the SEC. When you talk about those two guys, throw on top of that some some experienced guys like Walter Grant and Jermaine Johnson. Those are two seniors. And you've got two juniors in Robert Beal and Adam Anderson. Now, Beal and Anderson were two five-star guys coming out of high school. A lot of hype. They haven't necessarily hit that superstar level that you would expect from a five-star. But the people that are passing them, that's Nolan Smith, also a five-star, the number one player in the country a couple of years ago. So it, it's going to be Interesting to see how Kirby uses these guys. Same thing we talked about with the defensive line. It's exactly what they're going to do, want to do with their linebackers. The Kobe Dean and Nolan Smith, they're the superstars inside and outside. But they're not on the field three downs every time. They're going to get rotated in and out. And Adam Anderson, in particular, is a pass rush specialist. If it's third and long, Adam Anderson's going to be in there. And he's going to make some big plays for Georgia right from the jump. You're going to see it probably – uh, in the first week of the season against Arkansas, but he is going to be uh, an impact guy. You're not going to see him every single down, but he's going to be one of those guys that seems like he makes a big player too every single game. Now, as much as I have gushed about the defensive line and the linebacker position, the safety and cornerback, the secondary for the University of Georgia, may be the best in the country. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, Kirby likes coaching the secondary. Now, he's not listed as the head coach and secondary coach, but for everybody that – and the nobody's at practice this year from the media, but from years past, he is personally coaching the secondary. So we'll start at the very back and, and the safeties. You're going to get Richard LeCount. He's the senior. Came back for his senior year. He had choice to go to the pros. He probably would have been a second-round pick, but Richard, uh, you know, he was an early uh, signee with Georgia a few years ago loves Georgia, and he wanted to play one more year. He's going to be lined up next to a sophomore, Lewis Sine, who are seen. Um, he is a thumper. Lewis Sine is a guy that is going to put a hurting on opposing players. He's one of those guys, one of those old kind of safeties, like Bakari Rambo, um, like uh, Greg Blue, that you're going to have guys, tight ends, wide receivers, slot receivers, have to make a decision. Do I want to catch this ball and get lit up? Now, obviously, in the modern age of football, when you can't go lunging, you know, kind of projecting and uh, lunging into guys, the hits aren't as dramatic. But even with having to hit with the shoulder pads and not leave your head and all of that kind of stuff, 
Lewisine has the ability to really put a hurt on some people. The star, uh, the star position, which is kind of a cornerback safety, can blitz sometimes. You know, it's just kind of a jack of all trades. Uh, that's going to be Mark Webb. He's a senior. He's had a lot of playing time and a lot of experience, and that's one of those positions that Georgia and and it's kind of a key position for the Kirby Smart defense at corner. You're going to have heard all of these names, Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, DJ Daniel, and Tyreek Stevenson. You are too deep with five. Well, Eric Stokes wasn't a five-star, but he's the best uh, <laughs> He he he's the best corner on the team. So he, I think he was only a three-star coming out of the east side, but he is he's five-star in the way he's playing right now. And Stokes, as a junior, really has the ability with a really good season this year. Maybe I, I would assume he probably comes back next year. But Stokes has the opportunity to really push his stock up and be a DeAndre Baker-type first-round corner draft pick for the University of Georgia. A couple of freshmen to keep an eye on in the secondary. We've talked about all of this talent. You know, again, I've just named seven guys for four positions typically. So there's just a lot of talent, but then there's a lot of depth. You know, Tyson Campbell picked up an injury early in last year, and he never really got back to being 100% in step DJ Daniel, and Georgia's defense didn't miss a, a beat. That's the kind of thing that you can you can expect this year. Two freshmen coming in, and they are going to push for playing time despite the fact that they're freshmen, despite the fact that the guys in front of them are supremely talented. Keely Ringo from Oregon and Jalen Kimber from, from Texas, two guys, both five-star, both a lot of potential, and they will get snaps this year in – important situations. So when we kind of run through all of those names and we talk about the defense, again, you're not going to have that one guy, at least not this year. You're not going to have that one guy that gets so much national, you know, media and it's, you know, that Roquan treatment from 2017. But what you are going to have is you have a supremely talented defense that has talent and depth at all three levels, not to mention you have Dan Lanning, who has proven himself to be a very viable uh, defensive coordinator, in addition to the fact that Kirby Smart is one of the best defensive minds of his generation. The defense for the University of Georgia is exciting. I am very excited, as curious as I am to see how the offense plays and to see how it all shakes out. And I, there is a part of me that's excited about that because we haven't had that. We knew what Jake Fromm was. And unfortunately, starting, you know, at the very beginning of last year, we had this slow, disappointing kind of like downhill experience with Jake Fromm where you come into the year being excited. And by the time the year is over, you're just hoping that he doesn't mess anything up. It's going to be the opposite. I, you, for offense and for the quarterback, you're just going to hope that they don't mess anything up. And as they get into the season, you're going to start seeing them make some plays and be more of a factor. But from the word go, from the moment that the team steps on the field against Arkansas, all the way through this season, what you are going to see is you are going to see one of the best defenses that Georgia has ever put on the field. And this defense even in an age where offense wins championships and it's all about offense, this defense is going to be so good that it's going to keep Georgia into games. It's going to keep Georgia in this season. And with, with a 2018 version of that, of that defense, Georgia probably loses three or four games this year because of the issues they're going to have on offense. 
with this defense, I think Georgia is a one or two loss team at the very most. I just think this defense not only is going to hold opposing teams, but they are going to flip the field. They are going to make big play after big play. They're going to create that havoc that Kirby has always been talking about. And by doing that, they are going to be an integral part of making this season a success despite the offensive struggles that I think this team is going to have. Today's podcast with our first edition of the viewing guide. Now, the issue that I have with the viewing guide this year is that usually I call it week one, week two, week three viewing guide. I can't do that this year because it's week one in the Big 12 and ACC. It's week negative one. Uh, we're still two weeks away from week one in the SEC. So what we're going to do is we're going to do away with the whole counting thing, and we're just going to say this week's viewing guide. So we're not all the way there. We're not to the point to where you can start on Thursday evening, you know, maybe skip Friday, spend some time with your family, and then go all the way through Saturday and have a full day of exciting college football to watch. So this week's viewing guide, we're going to be pulling everything from everywhere to piece together what is really the first big football weekend of this 2020 season. So it does start on Thursday night where you got a college game and you got a pro game. So UAB at Miami, that's probably not going to excite you very much, except for the fact that this is the first time that a major team is going to step on the field in 2020. So watch some football. It's going to be on the ACC network kicking off at 8 o'clock. You've only got to watch that game for about 20 or 25 minutes before you get the NFL kickoff with the World Champion Chiefs hosting the Texas Texans at 8.20 on NBC. So that's my Thursday night. A little bit of college, a little bit of pro. Get to watch Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs take on uh, Deshaun Watson and the Texans. And at the same time, keep an eye on Miami. Um, I don't know what to expect from Miami this year. It's um, Manny Diaz's second year as the head coach. So a lot of people would think that you get a little bit of a bump in the second year. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I can tell you this. If Miami does not blow UAB out of the water, uh, it's going to be a long season on South Beach for the Hurricanes. So starting on Saturday, you've got college game day in its 2020 form, which is not nearly as fun. Let's just be honest. Um, but there is, and I, I tried to stretch this. I tried to be as open-minded as I possibly could. There is not a single game that I will watch at noon. So this is the perfect opportunity to let your family know, hey, college football starts today. But you know what? I'm not going to watch any football at noon. No, we're going to spend time as a family. Let's go on a hike. Let's spend some time together. Let's play a game. Maybe watch a movie with the kids. Get outside and do something if you can. But then just wrap it up. Because by 3.30, I think there is a game on ABC that for Georgia fans, it's at least worth keeping an eye on. Tech is going to go on the road and play Florida State. Now, this is interesting for a few different reasons. You got year two under Jeff Collins. Um, while the record wasn't good last year, there were moments where Tech, you could kind of see the talent level on that roster is, is was not good enough. But you could see Jeff Collins. You could see them coming around a little bit. And you know that within the next year or two, Tech is going to be able to at least make Georgia fans nervous. It would not have happened this year. And obviously, with the rivalry not happening and the game not being played this year, Tech gets a year to not lose to Georgia. Uh, Florida State, they also have a new head coach. So Florida State, since Bobby Bowden left, 
has been an up and down roller coaster. You know, obviously they won the national championship with Jameis Winston in 2013, but it really has not been a any kind of you know Florida State type of period uh, for the Seminoles since Bobby Bowden left. And really, the last four or five years of Bobby Bowden, there wasn't a whole lot of success to be had. So um, the last couple years, home games have looked the way they'll look on Saturday, which means, you know, I think they're going to have some fans in the stands as most college uh, programs are going to, but you wouldn't be able to tell Don't Campbell Stadium uh, this week from anything last year because whatever limit they have, 20,000, 30,000 people in the stadium, that's what it's looked like the last couple of years. So to me, that's the most intriguing game on the ACC schedule this week. Um, Clemson does play at 7.30, so basically you just stay on ABC. 3.30, you got Tech and Florida State. 7.30, the number one team in the country. The Clemson Tigers go on the road to start their 2020 campaign as they take on Wake Forest, who will be replacing Jamie Newman at quarterback. Uh, I don't expect this to be the, a, a competitive game whatsoever. I think Clemson probably wins by a million points. I think they're favored by 33. Uh, lay the 33, the Tigers are going to roll. But uh, it's football, and I think that's what you have to remind yourself. These first two weekends before the SEC gets back, there's not a top 25 matchup in the first, at least right now. Now, it'll, it might change once we get rid of all of the Big Ten and Pac-12 teams. But as of right now, if you go on ESPN.com or any website and you look at the first three, seat, uh, three weeks of the college football season, there are zero top 25 matchups. So uh, – even though we're not playing like the Sisters of the Poor, you know, we don't have all of those cupcake games on the schedule, it's still not very competitive the first couple of weeks of the season. But uh, Tech and Florida State, I think, will be interesting for a lot of local reasons. And you you probably need to watch Trevor Lawrence play college football as many times as you can this year uh, because it's probably only going to happen about 12 or 13 more times depending on how far Clemson goes in the playoffs. On Sunday, we get the NFL starting in full speed, so I'm staying in the NFC South all day. The Seahawks and the Falcons start at 1. I am a Falcons fan. I will say it loud and proud. Usually, I'm a disappointed Falcons fan because for the 40-plus years that the franchise has existed, more often than not, they've found a way to be disappointing, but I am in. I will be watching and rooting for the Falcons and their new running back, Todd Gurley, only five years after the Falcons should have drafted him at number eight. Uh, he ended up going number 10 to the Rams, had a couple Pro Bowl seasons, but coming off some injuries the last year or two. So it will be interesting to see what Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Todd Gurley, Calvin Ridley, uh, what this Falcon offense can do. And if the defense uh, under Dan Quinn can come back and look like any sort of defense that we saw a few years ago when they had kind of like we were talking about with Georgia playmakers at every level. Uh, you don't really have that anymore. So it'll be interesting to see how the Falcons match up with Russell Westbrook uh, uh, and the Seahawks. And then at 420, uh, man, do we have an interesting game. You've got Drew Brees, who is 100 million years old, taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in New Orleans. Uh, and obviously, if you haven't heard, Tampa Bay has had a complete overhaul. Bruce Arians is their new head football coach. I think he was actually there last year. But Tom Brady, uh, five-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady, is the quarterback of the Buccaneers this year. Rob Gronkowski has come out of retirement to be tight end. They just signed Leonard Fournette this week. 
Um, Tampa Bay is not what it used to be. Now, whether or not Tom Brady has anything left in the tank, we will see. Um, I was planning on doing a whole NFL preview this this week. The reality is I don't know anything about the NFL this year. Uh, there has been no preseason games. They've been having practice, but, I mean, it's just practice. So, I mean, you can report that somebody's playing or not playing. The reality is this NFL season is a complete crapshoot. So, for me to spend any kind of significant time on the podcast telling you that I don't know what's going to happen in the NFL uh, didn't seem like it'd be very entertaining. But what should be entertaining is this football game on Sunday evening, 420 on Fox, Bucks at Saints. That's a matchup of Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Watch them while you can, because they are both older than dirt, and they are going to be retired here in the next couple of years. And if you didn't get enough football through the weekend, if you don't get enough on Thursday and Saturday and Sunday, on Monday Night Football, their, their ESPN is doing their yearly doubleheader. So at 7 o'clock, you get the Steelers and the Giants. And at 10-10, you get the Titans at the Broncos. So I've given you Thursday, I've given you Saturday, I've given you Sunday, I've given you Monday, and now I'm going to try to convince you to watch a high school football game on Friday night, because on Friday night on ESPN at 8 o'clock, the future quarterback for your Georgia Bulldogs, I don't know if it'll be next year, two years from now, three years from now, but five-star prospect, the number one quarterback in the nation, Brock Vandergriff. It's going to be on ESPN playing another very highly rated quarterback out of the state of Georgia. Um, You've got Prince Avenue Christian taking on, um, actually, I can't remember. I don't know if it's Commerce, but basically Brady Hockman, who is a quarterback commit, uh, another five-star guy who's committed to South Carolina. So you've got Brock Vandergriff against Brady Hockman, a Georgia commit versus a South Carolina commit. They're going to be playing each other on Friday night on ESPN. So if you just need more football this week, I got you Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and cap it off with two Monday night football games. Football is back, and I think that's something that whether you love college, the pros, or if I've actually convinced you to watch a high school football game on television Friday night, I think we can all just be excited that football in a full weekend of interesting football is finally back. so much for tuning into the podcast this week. Hopefully you enjoy the first full weekend of the college football season. Hopefully the Braves can salvage a game tonight against the Marlins and then get back to their winning ways. Hopefully we will see something decent out of Cole Hamels and the return of Ozzie Albies. And hopefully we will be back next week talking about something positive as it pertains to the Braves pitching and the Georgia offense. But until then, Stay safe, have a great weekend, and go dog.